Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. And it is a very important episode. Nay, a commemorative episode because The Nuanced Life is officially joining Pantsuit Politics at the ACAST family. Pantsuit Politics joined the ACAST network a couple months ago. We've been so thrilled and we're doubly thrilled to have both podcasts with the same network and to be adding The Nuanced Life to the roster there. Before we get into our conversation today, we want to invite those of you who do not already listen to Pantsuit Politics to join us in a couple of weeks for a series that we are very excited about. We're calling it How to Be a Citizen, which is a combination of suggestions that listeners gave us. In the first two episodes, we're going to cover just the fundamentals of the branches of government, state versus federal versus local responsibilities, and how we go about doing our research before we vote in elections. And then we're going to move into how could all of this be a little bit more democratic? So identifying some of the problems in our existing structures and some proposals to address those problems. And then we're going to backtrack a little bit to say, why is it all like this? By reviewing some of the Federalist Papers. Stay with me. The Federalist Papers are actually extremely relevant to all the challenges that America is facing today and understanding kind of the headspace that the founders of this nation were in when they wrote our founding documents sheds a lot of light on what works well in America today, what doesn't work well in America today, and how we might adjust our assumptions to create an America that we all feel more included in and proud of um, and that works for all of us better. So we're really excited about this series. We're working very hard on it. We have some special guests joining us for parts of it. So come on over in a couple of weeks. We'll put exact dates in the show notes and we look forward to talking about how to be a citizen together in a nuanced way. Today on The Nuanced Life, we're gonna keep talking because we're all still struggling with pandemic stress, malaise, exhaustion, overwhelm, pick your poison. Let's begin with Brooke. When we got Brooke's email, we decided this is our episode about pandemic choices at the next level. Mm. Brooke lives with her extended family. Her 92-year-old grandfather is with her her parents, and then she has a young sister with her. They were very careful in the beginning, and Brooke was kind of the person 
who was the shepherd of the carefulness. You know, she says, Grandfather, 92 years old, has heart and respiratory conditions. She has felt that it is important to be very, very strict. And everybody did okay at first. Now, isn't that the theme? Everybody did okay at first. And now it's the summer, and Brooke says, I'm hearing a lot of, we can't just stop our lives completely. And her grandfather has decided that he is going to go back to his one hobby, which is time spent at the dog track. And her sister is going to go back to work at a McDonald's. And Brooke is just struggling here because she feels like everybody has made a lot of sacrifice to prevent anyone in the family contracting this virus and potentially sharing it with her grandfather. And now it's just all going to be out the window. And cases are rising where she is. And her family members are watching media that tell them, oh, don't worry. It's just more testing. Cases aren't actually rising. And she is concerned. She says, I have felt powerless and extremely worried as their commitment to self-isolation has waned. I've had conversation after conversation with them about social distancing and its importance. And a lot of times those conversations have been effective, but that hasn't been the case when I've discussed my grandfather returning to the dog track and my sister going back to work. I have told them that their decision greatly increases the chance that I will attend my grandfather's funeral this year, which I really don't want to happen. And they have continually said that it is their decision, and they have decided that it is safe enough for her to go back to work and that my grandfather can do whatever he wants as a 92-year-old, and my parents won't speak against it. So Brooke is feeling helpless. She feels like this big stick in the mud who wants to be everybody's boss in her family, and she is really torn up at the possibility of losing her grandfather throughout all of this. So she reached out just to say, what do you think? And this is a really tough one, Sarah. Okay. So I have spoken of this before, but I am obsessed with Emily Oster. Okay. She is a writer. She wrote two books called, follow me here. I'm sorry, this is getting to the question. Her first book, which I love. It's called Expecting Better. It's about pregnancy risk, the science between behind a lot of pregnancy recommendations. And then she wrote another book called Crib Sheets, which is about parenting recommendations. She's very good at assessing data. And she's one of the smartest thinkers out there on humans and risk and how we assess risk. And she's been writing a lot about COVID-19. And she put out this system that I think is so amazing. The first step is to frame the question. The second step is to mitigate risk. The third step is to evaluate risk. The fourth step is to evaluate benefits, and then you decide. And I love that she says, you will notice that this starts not with risks and benefits, but with framing the question. That is, you must start by figuring out what precisely you are considering doing, and just as important, asking what is the alternative. So let's say you're walking through this with your grandfather. And it sounds like you know, maybe we're talking about different questions because I bet what he hears is I can live my life as I normally would or the alternative is you want me to never go anywhere. And so I think if we can work with our family members and make sure we're asking the same questions and we have the right understanding of what is the alternative that we're talking about, then that would help. Because I think when we come at it from an emotional angle, one side hears, 
I want to lick lampposts. And the other side hears, you want me to lay in my bed and die of inactivity. (laughs) Not to be hyperbolic. Especially when it's something that is so tender, like a beloved grandparent. I think it's always helpful to just make sure we're all asking the same question and see if we can agree on mitigating risk. And if we can agree on mitigation techniques, (laughs) mitigation choices that present alternatives that everybody can kind of feel empowered by instead of, again, those extremes. So maybe if you sat with your grandfather and said, I love you so much, I think we want the same things. I want you alive and happy and living a life you're happy with. And I don't think that the only alternative is is for you to stay at home and never leave our house. I understand that that's unacceptable to you. So can we talk about how you can mitigate the risk? How maybe if you used to go to the dog track every day, maybe we could pick times that there's slower days during the week and we could go then. And can you promise me you'll mitigate risk by wearing a mask? I think that if we can approach the conversations that way, as opposed to acting like there are two choices, all in or all out, we might get further with our family members. Because the reality is, at 92 years old, I believe your grandfather has a right to live the life he wants to live and to make the choices he wants to make. And I don't love the way in some places we sort of take away any ability to engage in risky behavior. I always say, if you're at a nursing home and you are 92 years old and you want to eat peanut M&Ms, you should be allowed to, even if they're a choking risk, okay? Like, you shouldn't have to just eat mushy food for the rest of your life because you're in your 90s, right? There needs to be some balance here and some mitigation of the risk. That's true of COVID. The stakes are much higher, and so the emotions run higher. But if we can dig at what's the actual question and how can we agree on some mitigation so that everybody feels happy I love a book I recently read about nonviolent communications, and he says, if there's conflict, you're not disagreeing about values, you're disagreeing about strategies, because they're universal values, and that's certainly true in your family. You all love your grandfather. You all want him to be happy and healthy and alive. I think you know that. You're just disagreeing on strategies. I love the signs at a local park near me that say, we are able to be open because of your commitment to social distancing. We will not be able to be open if we don't follow through on that commitment, something like that. I think that's the right framing. And I totally agree with Sarah's advice. I don't think your role, Brooke, is to convince anyone to stay at home because there is a limit to how much we can all stay at home. As we look at the numbers and the data, we are not going to have a vaccine that everyone is going to get to have this year. And six more months of March just doesn't work for anybody. If I were 92, I would also say I will not be doing that for six more months, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do think that we've learned enough about this virus to know at this point that there are steps we can take as we move about in the world to lower that risk. It might still be, in your estimation, an unacceptable level of risk for your grandfather. But I do think that is his decision to make. 
And I think you just want to make sure that everything that you contribute to his calculus comes from that place of love, not from a place that feels like an attempt at control. And I also think it's important to sit with your feelings about the fragility of his life and everyone else's in your family, because it sounds like you are grieving in a healthy, appropriate way, the loss of other relatives and grieving the fact that your grandfather is 92 and won't be with you forever. And those are exactly the right things to feel. You know, that all comes from a place of love. You want to keep that for yourself coming from a place of love, not something that crosses into a fear that takes over for you in a way that is detrimental to those relationships that you so much want to keep precious and close to you right now. I love that you have been the person in your family who says, we're taking this seriously. We're going to do the right things. We're going to protect our grandfather. And I think that it's probably time to shift that conversation into what's the next iteration of that for our family. Okay, you all are ready to change what we've been doing. I hear that. How can we stay safe in this new model for us? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And on the subject of grief, we also heard from Mary. Mary wrote us and shared that in early March, really right before everything changed, she lost her grandfather. And she feels a little bit of guilt about this, but at the time, things were still open and they had a funeral, a pre-shutdown funeral in Kentucky with the relatives and friends and family member. She says, my relationship with my grandfather was complicated, but ultimately very close. He was a very special person, larger than life. We've been so lucky to have all four grandparents alive and a big part of our lives until now. So we haven't gone through a loss like this before, and it really sucks. Mary lives out of town, so after the funeral, she came home, and then over the next few weeks, everything locked down. Her mom is quarantined on the farm with her grandmother now, and she's glad that they're together, but she worries about them constantly. And she's really struggling with tackling this intense grief, shut down, away from her family, She says, and I don't know when I'll be able to go visit and hug my grandmother and mom again. I'm so scared they could get sick and I'll never see my grandmother again. So I'm writing to just commemorate that all of this just sucks. And you're right, Mary. It does just suck. I had this very intense desire to see my family about a month ago. It started just feeling like, oh, I'm going to be squeezed in half in some way if I don't get to see my parents and my sister And so I did get to see them last weekend. Um, My sister and her husband came down from Chicago. My family came down from northern Kentucky to my parents' house. We were all together for the first time since Christmas. It was wonderful. 
I worried myself to death about whether it was the right thing to do because my sister is pregnant and my mom has severe autoimmune conditions. And we washed our hands a lot, but we we hugged, we stayed in the same house, we ate meals together. And I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not, Mary, but I'm just telling you that because I can't imagine how much more intense those feelings would have been for me if I were still grieving the loss of a loved one. And I do think we need each other, and I do think we need our families. And I think when you know that everyone has been pretty careful, it might be worth spending some time together, if nothing else, being together outside. You know, getting Mm -hmm. together for a meal outside, I feel pretty comfortable doing just about everywhere now, taking a walk together. That wasn't available in my family because of distance, and it sounds like that might be Mary's situation too. But I think we're in this for the long haul, and being in it for the long haul means that, just like we were talking about with Brooke, we all have to find some ways to get our needs for connection and love and interaction and stimulation and variety met. You know, we we are highly evolved beings and that comes with being very high maintenance, you know, in, mm-hmm. in so many ways. And if we are going to continue to wear our masks and wash our hands and not have gatherings and see all of our concert tickets being rescheduled for late in 2021 and all the things, every little piece of grief that comes our way because of something that has to change, I do think we've got to find ways to be with the people that our hearts need most. I feel very strongly about this. I think you'd have to sing in each other's faces for 30 minutes to get COVID outside. I think it's very difficult. I'm living my life outside. I'll just be really honest. And as far as hugs, I've been following the New York Times. I thought very helpful graphics with a mask. Hold your breath and turn your faces away as you hug. I just think like I felt a tremendous amount of anxiety around social gatherings ease up when we realize, and and again, this is this sort of advice and guidance we've talked about on Pantsuit Politics with our resident virologist, Michelle Becker. It's not really spreading on surfaces. It's all in aerosol and droplets. And so, because that to me felt, when we weren't sure if it was spreading on surfaces and, and just touching each other, like that to me was when my anxiety was at its peak because it felt like it was lurking everywhere. Like you said, human beings have needs and we're going to have to sort of spend some of our social contact budget. I still think I loved that that metaphor from the beginning. Like if we had a dollar before the the lockdown, we only had 10 cents at the beginning of March. Well, I think we probably have like a quarter, a good solid quarter to spend on very safe social distancing connection, especially if you're having some sort of mental health struggle, especially if you're grieving. I don't know if anybody needs that permission, but I'm here to offer it if you do. Because flattening the curve was never about the whole world doesn't get sick eventually. It was about Mm -hmm. giving our healthcare system time to make sure that it could help with that sickness. It was about making sure that our most vulnerable people didn't get it and, and us be at a loss for how to help them through it, it's still really important. Listen, it is not worth it to me to go to a church or a movie theater or a conference or any place where I would be sitting in a room 
with other people for a sustained period of time. You know, Mm -hmm. everything that I've read tells us, hey, you should not be indoors for a long period of time speaking with other humans. So I'm not going to do that. But I also think we need each other and we got to find ways to be with each other as, as we need each other. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, thank you so much, Mary and Brooke, for sharing these stories with us. Thank you all for thinking through this difficult time of so much calculation and assessment and values. And we will be back again to hold space for these moments with you next week. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuance life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.